Let's Cover That podcast is brought to you by CM&F Group, professional liability services for over 200 healthcare professions. Visit our website at cmfgroup.com slash podcast for more info. Hey, everybody. Will Sullivan here with another episode of Let's Cover That with my co-host. Antonina Agruza. And today we have with us Carly Burridge, a physician assistant and the founder of Gaining Health. Carly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Carly, tell us a little bit about your background in healthcare and what led you to Gaining Health. Yeah, so, you know, before I went to PA school, my interest was really in lifestyle changes. So my undergraduate degrees were in physiology and psychology because I really believe in kind of that holistic picture. I don't think you can treat the mind and the body separately. They are all connected. So that was kind of my background. And then I was just finding more and more in my studies how much exercise can play a role both in mental health as well as physical health. So I went to graduate school for clinical exercise physiology, kind of with the goal of helping people design exercise programs for people with chronic conditions like cancer, diabetes, obesity, And uh, that was really the direction that I wanted to go in. I purposely really didn't want to go into the medical field because what I was seeing at that time was that it was more kind of a pill for every ill, right? And it seemed to me like we were just prescribing medications for a lot of conditions that were lifestyle-based and could be addressed with lifestyle changes as well in addition to medication. And I just didn't see that happening. So My goal was actually initially not to go into medicine, but upon talking with some of my professors at my program, they said, well, if you really want to work with that clinical population, you're going to likely need a clinical degree because insurance doesn't cover exercise physiologists to develop these types of programs. So I really went into healthcare with the idea of really wanting to use lifestyle therapy as an important component of overall healthcare, in addition, obviously, to medications, but to really make that a primary focus with my patients. So I started out in primary care doing that. Uh, but you, as anybody knows who's in primary care, you're, you're seeing a lot of other conditions as well. A lot of times it was urgent care type stuff. And so I wasn't finding that I was really able to incorporate a lot of that in, in primary care. And so I just happened to fall into a job in bariatric surgery a few years later, where I was really able to use a lot of the lifestyle counseling, in addition to being able to be a first assist in the OR and do the preoperative and the postoperative care for patients. And that's really when I learned a lot more about obesity as a disease, which really wasn't covered much in my training, in any of my training. And that's kind of how I ended up finding the field of obesity medicine. Yeah, so kind of rolling into that, Carly, so why don't you give us a rundown about your practice, Gaining Health. You also do a wonderful podcast where you kind of talk a lot about these topical areas, whether it's the new prescription drugs coming out, physiology, different areas to that. So kind of drive us over to that. You know, what is Gaining Health and what, what are you providing out there? Yeah, so I developed Gaining Health. So Gaining Health is basically, uh, we provide resources and services and support for clinicians who want to start a comprehensive evidence-based obesity management program. And the way it came about is, like I said, I I kind of fell into a job in bariatric surgery. uh, And then as I got into that field, I 
was introduced to the Obesity Medicine Association. So started learning a lot more about the medical treatment of obesity. And my goal was really, well, we need to have all of these treatments under one roof, right? The surgical and the medical, everything under one roof, kind of like a, a cancer treatment centers of America, if you will, but for obesity. And so I started doing a lot more medical obesity treatment. And then I was asked to create the medical program for the treatment of obesity as an adjunct to the surgical program for a large hospital system in Texas. So I developed that program. I developed a program within primary care. And then when I moved to Illinois a few years later, um, I developed another program as an adjunct to a bariatric surgery practice. So without really ever having planned to start up multiple programs, that's kind of what I ended up doing over the years. And what I was finding, I started to do a lot of educating as well. I'm a regular speaker for the Obesity Medicine Association and other organizations like AAPA and AANP. And what I was finding was that clinicians were getting the education, but they weren't really sure how to take that education and really apply it to their clinical practice and, and how to create a comprehensive obesity program kind of from the ground up. So it was kind of during that COVID time where I was like, well, I've developed multiple of these programs from the ground up time and again. So I kind of know what that process looks like. And I've developed a lot of the resources over the years to, to help people do that. And so that's how Gaining Health was born, because what I was my goal is really that more and more clinicians start offering this type of obesity care in their practices. And what's great about PAs, too, is we work in so many different specialties and there's almost not a specialty that's not affected by obesity, where obesity is not either causing or exacerbating a lot of the medical conditions that we're treating. And so my goal is just really to increase that availability of that evidence-based, comprehensive, and, and, and compassionate obesity care. Uh, so that's why I started Gaining Health. So I provide a lot of the resources that people need so that people don't have to recreate the wheel every time they start a program. So, so I wrote a book on how to develop an obesity management program that goes through a lot of the details of it and the billing and coding and developing a business plan and that whole side of it. Uh, then I also created a lot of forms and templates, because if you have to recreate these all by yourself, that takes a lot of time and effort to do that. So a lot of the work is done for you, and these are all editable. Uh, and then also patient education materials, because we know we're all limited with the amount of time that we have to spend with patients. And so the more handouts and materials that we have that patients can take home and read and process at their own time, the better. And again, those take a lot of time to develop if you're trying to create all of that on your own. So I develop a lot of those resources um, for clinicians to use. And then the Gaining Health podcast has been very exciting. So we started that in the fall. And I interview a lot of the leaders and experts in obesity medicine. Uh, we talk about all kinds of different topics. And then I also do reviews of new science that's coming out, new research, new guidelines that are coming out that are related to obesity. So that's been a really fun thing to do as well and, and great to connect with, with the audience on a broader sense. That's awesome and a really great rundown of you know everything that you've been working on. Can you give us some stats on obesity in the United States? And you know, are there any hurdles that you see patients having in order to gain access to care? Yeah, so great question. And in terms of obesity rates and prevalence, we know that currently about 42% of U.S. adults and about 20% of the pediatric population has obesity. And then another, you know, 33 plus percent percent have pre-obesity or overweight. And the projections currently, so the World Obesity Atlas just came out this year, and the projections for 2035 
are that by that time, 58% of U.S. adults will have obesity. And the obesity rates for children are climbing even faster than for adults. So for adults, the obesity rates are increasing at about 2.1% per year. And in the adolescent population, it's increasing at about 2.4% per year. So this is, you know, it's, it's a huge issue in this country and worldwide. And it's really important that we start treating obesity seriously, that we work on prevention at the same time. And I really think it's not either or. We don't either do prevention or treatment. We need to be doing both simultaneously. And one of the issues that we're having is access to care, especially in terms of medications. So Medicare does cover bariatric surgery and the bariatric surgery people have done a good job with really getting bariatric surgery covered, although it's not covered for everybody. Um, but medications are not covered by Medicare and are often not covered by insurance. And this is employer dependent. So the employers have to opt in to covering anti-obesity medications. So that's still a huge, a huge issue in terms of access to care. So you know, we're doing whatever we can to create resources for patients to reach out to their employers and to support things like the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act, which would allow Medicare to cover uh, these anti-obesity medications for patients. So, you know, currently only about 1% of people who qualify for bariatric surgery are undergoing surgery, and only about 2% who qualify for medications are actually being offered these medications. So that's definitely a big hurdle. Um, that's a big challenge, you know, is that access to care. What is it? Yeah, that's it. one of the interesting things from that is just from like uh, the absentee. When you talk about employer plans, then you're talking about absenteeism, yeah. you know. So if, if you have, I mean, is that something you see? Because that's that's not just physical, that's mentally like, you know, that's always been the stigma is obesity is, this is just like a social issue. This is people just aren't trying hard enough. They need to just eat better. But what you're saying is that this is like a true disease, which is also like a different shift in mode, right? Yeah. Which probably, hey, employers don't get that. The public doesn't get that. But it's also, you know, there, there's a direct return on investment by treating people on this for the companies too. Absolutely. Um, is that something you see with that, again, that physical mental comparison? that you kind of started with in your career? Yeah. I mean, I think when I first started my career, I did not understand the pathophysiology of obesity. It was not something that was taught in any of my medical training or when I was studying exercise physiology. You know, the idea was just, oh, well, it's a simple balance of calories in, calories out. And if people can just eat less and move more, then they can lose the weight. But now we know it is so much more complex than that. And our weight is regulated in our hypothalamus, just like our you know, oxygen levels are and, and your blood sugar is regulated. So is your weight. And it's a very complex system. There's a lot of different hormones involved. Um, and what happens oftentimes, especially in the environment, in this obesogenic environment that we currently live in, and the types of foods that are in our food system, right? We know that over 60% of calories consumed by Americans are these highly processed foods. And these foods can affect our brain and can affect our hunger levels and satiety levels. And so what we're finding, especially as people are starting to develop obesity, but sometimes even before people develop obesity, there starts to be a dysregulation and a dysfunction in that appetite regulatory center in the brain. And people aren't receiving those signals 
the correct signals for them, you know, when they're hungry, when they're full, when to stop eating. So if, if there's a dysfunction in any part of that system, then, you know, the appetite regulation becomes dysregulated. And that's when people's appetites uh, can be higher than what their actual calorie needs are, right? And our hunger signals are very, very important signals. And they're very difficult to ignore. Like, we, you wouldn't be able to ignore it if your blood sugar was low, right? We get symptoms from that. And so hunger symptoms are, are very powerful symptoms that we can't just expect people to white knuckle their way through. So, you know, there really is a whole pathophysiology associated with obesity. Um, and then that's just the level of the brain. There's also the pathophysiology at the level of the adipocytes, um, which, you know, healthy adipose tissue responds a certain way. But when our adipose tissue is forced to expand beyond capacity, a lot of different things happen that causes further dysregulation. And it just kind of becomes this, this cycle uh, that leads to more and more weight gain. And then when we try to lose weight, our brains are designed to protect us from weight loss, right? And so your brain recognizes when you're losing weight because you start to have lower levels of leptin, and that's a hormone that's produced by your adipocytes. And your brain sees this as a threat to your existence. So as soon as we start losing weight, the body fights back by increasing our hunger hormones, decreasing our satiety hormones, decreasing metabolism. And these changes can persist for years. And that's why it can be so challenging for people not just to lose weight, but to keep the weight off long term. And that's where interventions like pharmacotherapy or surgery can really help with those hormones and, and with the brain to help, you know, help us fight our own biology, if you will to help us be able to lose weight and keep it off long-term. And like you said, when we do that, when we treat obesity, everything else gets better, right? There are over 236 complications of obesity, you know, including things like diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, cancer, arthritis, sleep apnea. I mean, the list goes on and on. And what we're doing in healthcare right now is we're playing whack-a-mole, right? It's like we're treating one complication of obesity and then another one pops up and we treat that. And then we have to intensify this treatment. And if we just treat the root cause of a lot of these medical conditions and treat the obesity, everything else gets better. And so there will be cost savings absolutely down the road, in, including, and, and on top of cost savings, just quality of life, right? Um, so I think, you know, if we get to the root issue, if we understand what causes obesity, if we understand how we can treat it, uh, that's going to make a huge difference with all those complications of obesity as well. And we'll end up saving employers and everybody else a lot of money in the long run. So it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah, for sure. And really impressive statistics. And I really, uh, love hearing, you know, how much you're passionate about this particular specialty. And it leads me to think about future PAs. So we have so many PAs coming out of college now, ready to start their career. What advice do you have for them, especially if they have a particular interest or specialty that they want to go into as you did? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of obesity medicine, so just to get back to that, you know, unfortunately, there still is not a lot of obesity medicine training in PA programs currently. And so I would say, you know, I would encourage anybody, if that's not part of your curriculum, which likely it's not, to seek out additional education in obesity management. So AAPA has obesity education uh, through their website. Um, they offer a certificate program, so a primary care uh, certificate in obesity management through AAPA. 
I would highly encourage you to join PAs in Obesity Medicine. So I co-founded PAs in Obesity Medicine in 2017 with, along with Amy Ingersoll. And recently, earlier this year, we became an official AAPA caucus. So I'm the president of that organization right now. And so we really encourage any PAs to join PAs in Obesity Medicine. The website is pasinobesitymedicine.org. Um, and you can learn there and, and connect with your peers to learn more about obesity management. And then the Obesity Medicine Association is another organization, especially if people want to specialize in obesity management. Uh, we can get really great training. And there's a certificate of advanced education through the Obesity Medicine Association for PAs and NPs. So I would highly encourage that. And then just in terms of general advice for PAs coming out of school is, you know, the world is your oyster. Um, don't, don't settle for something that doesn't feel right to you. Um, and, and really follow your passions and your dreams. Uh, I, the amount of jobs that I actually applied for as a PA are very little. I went out and I found the people that I wanted to work with and the positions that I wanted to work in. And I just showed up with, with my resume and my CV. And uh, so I encourage people to go out there and just really go for what they want to do and make it happen for yourself. Uh, and you can, you can do anything you want to do in this field. I, I truly believe that. And then ju just to, to kind of to add to that, Carly, to Antonina's question is, so we, when you look at gaining health, and seeing it as a big differentiator, as a PA-led organization, how does that differentiate? What's that piece of advice of, hey, I'm doing this, I'm getting this message out here. I've helped co-found like a new piece of, uh, you know, what we need to do with the APA and PAs in general, well, with PAs in obesity medicine. So what's the differentiator you see there that you're like, hey, this is a great opportunity to kind of fast track in the leadership, entrepreneurship as a PA too? and solve this problem? Yeah, I think don't limit yourself, right? Uh, I think sometimes as PAs, we limit ourselves. Well, well, I'm not a physician or I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not an entrepreneur. You can do anything you want to do as a PA, right? And so, you know, uh, and even when it comes to education, I educate a lot of physicians and other clinicians about obesity medicine. I'm helping them start their programs. So just don't limit yourself on anything that you want to do. If you have a passion for something, go for it, right? Um, and so, and you really, sometimes things feel overwhelming and you think, you know, how can I'm just one person? How can I make a difference? But what I found is that you really can make a difference, you know, connect with other people, uh, find mentors who can help you out. That's been huge for me. I had a great mentor. Her name was Sam Christensen. I still talk to her on a regular basis. And now I get to give back and I get to mentor other PAs and other clinicians and take them under my wing and, and really help bring up the next leaders. Uh, and I would, you know, just encourage you, if you want to do something, just go for it. A lot of times we don't give ourselves enough credit and we think, well, I don't know if I have enough experience yet to do this, or, you know, it's scary to go out and, and become a speaker or, you know, put yourself in a leadership position. But I would encourage you to just go out there and do it, right? You're going to figure it out along the way. Find people around you who have who have taken that path before you. And then when you get there, bring other people along with you. Amazing. Carly, thank you for the work that you're doing in your profession, in your specialty. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you both. That's another episode. Let's cover that. Thank you so much, Carly.